All right, guys, I just put out a video where the title was Doctors Told Me That I Should Be Dying uh, more than once. And I was saving this for almost two years to talk about it. And there's a lot that I have to talk about. And I know a lot of you guys said you cried watching it. It was very, very hard for me to do it. So to get into everything that I went through, I wanted to have a very special guest. And you guys already know him because he did the SARM podcast with me. But I have Trevor Kuritz in here. And Trevor has a chemical engineering degree, a master's in nutrition, and is currently in med school working towards his doctorate. Um, basically, the way that we joke is that he's sort of like an engineer, dietitian, doctor, all in one. And I flew him all the way from Canada for this episode. You guys loved him and wanted him back. Ladies and gentlemen, I have him stored in my phone as Trevor, the chemistry genius. Well, thank you for having me, PJ. <laughs> First thing I have to say, just to cover myself, and it's also true is that this is information. This is not medical advice and everyone is different. So dosages, drugs, things like that. These are things you really need to be talking about with your own health practitioner, because what might be good for PJ might not be good for you. Absolutely. And, you know, I talk about a lot of crazy stuff on here and it's important that you guys know that I am very, very open about what I do. And I do a lot of things that many uh, medical doctors would possibly say that they don't approve of. Um, I also have done a lot of things that are more widely used, I think, outside of the country or different methods that aren't studies as much here. Um, but I, I've always supported taking things into my own hands and wanting to figure out how to get myself to be the healthiest I could possibly be. And I switched gears big time from basically wanting to be big and strong my whole life to li wanting to live healthy and as efficiently as possible and, and having a goal of being 100 years old. All that changed in 2019. And what I would like to do is I'd like to tell the story, but as I get to points where you feel you can really like hope in, like, like, like help medically and chemically, I think that would help the understander or the, the, the community understand because I want to help as many people as possible. So what you said is good because medicine is a lot like business in that in investing you have high risk and you have low risk. High risk, high return, low risk, low return. Mm -hmm. And the approach you take with your health is, I'm in. This is crazy, it might backfire, it might actually make me more sick, but let's try it. Yeah. Most doctors don't take that approach. They wanna go the conventional method, things that have been studied for 20 years, things that are tried and true, things that probably aren't gonna give you a huge benefit, but it's gonna give you a small benefit. Yes. So with a lot of stuff PJ's talking about, just realize that it's a high risk, high return type of philosophy. Yeah, and, the, and I appreciate you saying that. But I also want everybody to know that there are things, and I think you would agree, there are things out there in this world that doctors just don't know about yet. The problem with medicine, and I know this firsthand being in med school, is that your main clientele is elderly citizens. Mm -hmm. Elderly citizens, diabetics, people with heart conditions, things like that. So most of your education is surrounded around senior citizens, type two diabetes, cardiovascular disease. Doctors don't really know how to treat an athlete. A lot of the things that apply to an athlete don't apply to a sedentary individual. Another problem is that this stuff is also complex, right? And when you sit with your doctor for 10 minutes and you tell them your symptoms, it could be 10 different things. And a lot of people feel screwed. They're like, oh, I went to my doctor. I told him my symptoms. He diagnosed me wrong. 
it could be 10 different things, yeah. right? Like you have to remember that doctor is with you for five minutes. Mm -hmm. He probably saw 20 people before you. He was probably seeing 10 people after you. It's not easy. And my girlfriend, her mom right now has stage four stomach cancer. And she knew something was up. She went to her doctor. She said, there's something wrong with my stomach. And the doctor first thought it was maybe a food allergy or things like that. Then he thought it was maybe heartburn. He never actually tested her for cancer until a year into it. And by the time he finally tested her, it was stage four. Wow. And that sucks, right? Yeah, like, exactly. and, and you could say that was due diligence on the doctor. And it probably was. Like, he probably should have done those tests way earlier. But I don't blame him. Because if someone came to me and said, hey, something's wrong with my gut, I would suspect food allergy, food sensitivity, heartburn. Like, those would be the things that would be going through my head first, too. I wouldn't immediately jump to cancer. Mm -hmm. I also think that the main community, right, and this is in many ways kind of sad, they will wait until something is is really wrong before they actually go and do something. So I'm so in tune with my body that even the slightest thing wrong, I start thinking, okay, what what is what is causing this? And uh, actually, Dr. Zeno, who I had my guest on, who helped me out a lot, he actually told me, he, typical young meathead, he was having issues with the stomach for a while. It wasn't until like a month straight of literally shitting blood where he was finally like, okay, I should go to the doctor and see what this is. And at that point they were like, well, you have really bad ulcerative colitis. Um, and his had spread and caused some of the issues that they wanted to remove his, his colon. So I said, so hold on a minute. The first time that you shit blood, it didn't freak you out. And he said it did, but I kind of was hoping that it would go away. And I think that, you know, unfortunately there's so many um, people that, that, that are like that. And then they figure, okay, now I better go to the doctor and they're going to get the answers right away. Um, but what I would like to do is explain what I went through because I am, I am quite different than the average person. I am so obsessed with the human body and my own body that I, I am the opposite. So I'm always going to the doctor and I'm always trying to learn more. I have many different doctors that I see. So 2019, uh, the Olympia. Uh, as you know, it's always a big, crazy time. It's it's a lot of fun. It's in Vegas. And I wanted to bring my parents this year. I wanted them to see what Blackstone Labs had turned into. I just I wanted, it was actually supposed to be like a very proud moment, which it was. And the booth, our booth is always nuts. You've seen how we do it at, 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 the, at the expos before. Actually, uh, Tony Huge was at that booth. He met my parents. And it was really cool because my mom, uh, who's my biggest fan, at the end of the weekend, she was crying. And the reason that she was crying, she said, I'm so proud because you accomplished what your dreams were, but I'm also sad because I see how exhausting your life is and you could never really turn yourself off. But she's like, I believed like at a young age, that was what you really wanted to do. And what I told her, I said, I don't know if that it's my age now catching up to me, but I'm having a really hard time this weekend. And she said, why? And I said, so one of the things I've always done is I start at the expo, the, door, the doors open at nine, I stayed till five. There's no CEOs that do that. In fact, many of the CEOs don't even go there, but I actually sit outside my booth and I try to talk to every single fan and supporter that we have because it means a lot to me. And that's why I do what I do. And for anybody that's never listened to before and thinks that sounds like bullshit, I don't care because people will tell you they've seen me doing it for 10 years now. And 
normally af- after the days, I would take the staff out to dinner, do all these things. Each day I was like, guys, I got to go back to my room. I was laying in my room in, in really agonizing pain. My back was throbbing. My legs were throbbing. And I, I just felt wiped out. And so when I came home, I said, I guess this is what happens when you turn 40, right? Which, I mean, I'm on HRT. I essentially should feel 25. But I, I said, I guess my body and my mind just don't keep up with you know with each other anymore and I actually told the staff I said for the next few years what we're going to do is say PG is going to be at the booth for like this block of time and that's it because my body can't handle it thing is when I went home and I took the rest I actually wasn't getting better I was getting worse finally um, at Christmas I decided I was going to take a staycation with Marissa and we were walking uh, in Miami and I told her, I said, I, I have to sit down. I feel like I'm actually going hypo right now. And she was like, really? I sat down and I started pouring sweat. And I said, um, please find me like um, just some sort of like sugar, something easy to eat. And I ate the snacks. I wasn't feeling any better. And I was kind of like shaking and weak. We wound up getting me back to the hotel room. I literally slept for almost 24 hours. We left the hotel room. I came home and I was like, something is really wrong with me. Went into the doctor's office. I said, I feel like I have mono because I had mono um, in college. And I guess this would be a good chance for you to interject because a lot of people are like, what's mono? Um, do you want to give like the full explanation of like what it really is? Honestly, the easiest thing would probably be just in the search on Wikipedia. Yeah, you're just really fucking sick. Excuse my language. It, but so mononucleosis, if, if you've had it before, it, it, it typically comes from uh, HPV, of course, but it makes you really tired. The, the, the problem with mono and, and other diseases, I could ramble on about mm-hmm. the scientific definition, and they can go on WebMD or whatever and read about it, but unless you've had it, you don't really know what it's like. Yes. And I had an autoimmune disease, mm-hmm. so I know what you were going through, yep. but anyone who has never had an autoimmune disease, they don't realize how frustrating it is. Yes. Because everything else seems right. Mm-hmm. Basically, your whole body is out of whack. Yeah. It's doing things it shouldn't be doing. Your whole body's confused. And you know, certain blood markers will come back perfect. You'll go to your doctor, your cholesterol will be good, your blood pressure will be good, your resting heart rate will be good, and your doctor's like, you seem healthy to me. Maybe you're just tired, Yeah. right? Maybe, maybe you need to sleep more. Maybe, maybe you're up too late. Like they, they probably think you're up too late watching Netflix yeah. on your phone or something, mm-hmm. right? And that's the problem is that if you've never lived these things, it's very hard to understand. Well, um, and many people have asked me that as well. And also like, you know, Epstein-Barr can stay dormant your whole life, right? But I had mono in college, so I was very sick for about two weeks. And that's what it felt like. So I went to the doctor and I said, can you test me for mono? And she said, why? And I go, I, there, I think I have mono again. I haven't had it since college, but I don't know what else would feel like this, but there's something very wrong with me. And she said to me, she knows me very well. She said, PJ, you look awful. And she was like, come sit down. And the day that I went there, I was feeling really, really, really weak and frail. And I was um, white as a ghost. And... Um, so she texted my blood pressure and my blood pressure was 80 over 40. And now I typically run about 135-ish over around 80. You know, like for, for a big guy that's typically around where I won. Where you don't really want to be 
you know, outside of like 140 over 80, as they say. 120 over 80 is kind of considered the gold standard. The gold standard, right? So I've had a lot of doctors tell me, if we see you creeping over 140 over 80 too much, we're gonna look into this a little bit more. I usually would run though, no matter when you test me, 130 to 135 over high 70s, right? So for me to be now 80 over 40, that's a dramatic difference. And when I sat down to get my blood pressure tested, I actually fainted in the chair. And when they went to test to, to take my blood, I'll never forget it, but my blood wasn't really coming out. And so I had to keep squeezing the ball, squeezing the ball, and the blood finally came out. And I thought to myself, in my head, I was like, man, my blood must be super freaking thick. Um, so I went, I left there, and I went to go donate blood. And when I went to go donate blood, they said, uh, you actually need to go to the hospital right now. Your iron is 12. And they were like, you actually are not a candidate to, to donate blood. We won't let anybody donate blood that is under, I believe, 60 was the number they said. And um, so I, in my head, I'm like, okay, so my blood is not coming out at the doctor when they're testing my blood because maybe my hematocrit is like 60 and my, my, my you know, my blood is so thick that I got to just detox a little bit. Instead, I was just so frail and weak. The, the medical definition of anemia is under 45. So for you being 12, that's like, I'm surprised you're even able to walk. Well, that's what they said. And so, but here's the very interesting thing. And I've had so many questions that were not answered properly. So I, I come back in and she's like, we gotta go in my office. She goes, your Epstein-Barr is like 10 times what it should be. She's like, so, that's your. That's why you felt like you had mono. Epstein Barr is what what causes mono. She goes, but another thing that we need to look at. I want to retest you right away. She was like, your mercury is so dramatically high. With your iron being so low, like you you have some form of like metal poisoning. And now that is another thing that although I did understand mercury poisoning, wasn't sure about the iron. Um, but here's a great. It, chance for you to actually kind of educate a little bit on why mercury poisoning is is not something that you want well mercury is a heavy metal it makes your body just react basically it's a reactive oxygen species but your example is a perfect example of an autoimmune disease because when your iron was low your iodine was also sky high yes and they're beside each other on the periodic table so your body was super super confused and it was absorbing iodine when it should be absorbing iron and then same thing with mercury you're always gonna get some mercury in the diet. It's in fish, it's in water, like minuscule amounts. Mm -hmm. But someone who's healthy, their liver is gonna be detoxifying that out. Yep. Your liver wasn't able to function properly just because you had so much other stuff going on. And when your iron levels are that low, your hemoglobin's super low, and hemoglobin is the molecule that delivers oxygen to all of your cells. So all of your cells are basically in slow motion because they're not getting oxygen. Oxygen is the most important molecule for life. Yes. It goes oxygen, it goes water, mm -hmm. and then it goes nutrients. So your iron is low, your hemoglobin is low, your body's like running in slow motion, which is why your liver isn't able to function properly. And then you get all these other hosts of diseases. So this autoimmune disease kind of causes this like snowball effect where then all this other starts stuff starts to happen. And if you don't actually diagnose the autoimmune disease, you're fixing one problem and then another problem happens. Yes. You're fixing one problem and another problem happens. And then I think that was your story, right? Mm -hmm. It's like 
this got fixed and then something else happened and then yes. this got fixed and something else happened. But what I didn't do until later on, which I'll get into, was actually try to figure out what the specific autoimmune disease was. And there are many different ways to try to figure this out. But what I kept on trying to do was fix my current problem, right? And I didn't, and this was not any of the doctor's faults. Um, but this is, this, is, this is the fundamental problem with medicine, in my opinion, is that high blood pressure is a symptom. Yep. You need to be figuring out what's causing the high blood pressure, right? Is it too much stimulants? Is it being overweight? Is it poor diet? But doctors don't do that. You have high blood pressure, they give you... Blood pressure ones. Blood pressure, yeah. right, right? You have high cholesterol, mm -hmm. they give you a statin. Yes. They're never actually trying to diagnose the why. Yeah. And it's the same thing with your situation is like your iron's low. Okay, well, we'll give you an iron IV. Mm -hmm. they, they weren't actually trying to figure out why is your iron low? Like, what does your diet look like? Yes. What does your lifestyle look like? Males generally don't have low iron. I know. Anemia is very common in females because they lose blood every month in their menstrual cycle. But for a man, low iron is very, very uncommon. But here's the most interesting thing. So the second doctor tested me for anemia multiple times and said I was not anemic. How, how long was the duration between the... So what they were saying was, and I'm gonna backtrack for a second because I want everybody to understand that with the low iron, I had to do, to do two iron infusions to get my iron back into a healthy range. So I had to, to, to sit once with an IV, get it in, and I went up to about 25. Okay. And then I went the second time that got me to about 61. But here's the thing. If you looked at my, um, the actual numbers, right, uh, is it the TIBC, um, where your iron is, the saturation in your blood, were through the roof. So the iron was in my blood like crazy, but it wasn't being absorbed into the cells. It, my, my cells wouldn't accept it mm. for some reason. And so that was what the doctors was saying was an indicator of me not being anemic. They were like, You're, there's tons of iron that's in your body. You have some other issue that's preventing your body from absorbing this iron. So we need to look into that, which then led me to the, the GI doctor. That's, that's another reason why this stuff gets so complicated is that when you're testing for, let's say testosterone, because that's something most of your users are gonna be familiar with, is that there's not just one test, right? It's not like, okay, we do the testosterone test. You can test free testosterone, you can test total testosterone, then you can also test testosterone derivatives like DHT and things like that. So a lot of doctors will test total testosterone, right? Mm -hmm. They're like, okay, let's test total testosterone, that'll be in the normal range, like everything's good. Well, the free testosterone is actually the active testosterone. Yes. So it's the same thing here is they were testing the amount of iron per blood cell and they're like, okay, this is good, but they weren't actually testing the amount of iron as a systemic amount in your blood. Mm -hmm. So this is how, like these rabbit holes just keep going down and down. Like it just keeps, it's getting more and more confusing. And that's why medicine is so interesting, but also why medicine is so tough is that doctors, they can't do everything, right? Like a doctor can't give you a blood rack for 7,000 different things, right? Yes. Where he could, mm -hmm. but the doctor kind of has to put on his detective hat and say like, hey, what's the 10 things we should test? And it's a guessing game, right? And especially if you have a new doctor who who's, doesn't have a lot of experience, like they'll often guess wrong. Yeah. And it's, it's tough because there's a million different things you're looking at every day, right? Like when someone comes in and says, I'm sick, that's like, that doesn't give you much information. No, and, and people will get mad at this and you might get a little bit mad at it too. This whole entire experience 
gave me a negative perspective of many of the doctors, but I will say this. I have found that a lot of the doctors, especially the older ones, that are more general practitioners, they are going based off data that isn't really updated as much, and here's the medicine that you take to fix this, and they don't look into it more. Now, there are specialists, though, that are phenomenal. And I think that when you have a situation like this, you've got to find the specialist. It's like you don't go to a surgeon, you know, when you have a stomachache. Yeah. You know, so. Last thing I'll say is that just like there's bad plumbers, there's bad doctors. Absolutely. And your health, you are in charge of it. Mm -hmm. So. Yes, you can point fingers at the doctor, mm-hmm. and yes, doctors make mistakes, but if you have a doctor who's a noob, yep. find a different doctor. Yeah. It's not like you're contractably, contractably, it's not like you have a contract obliging you to see this physician, right? Yep. If you have a doctor who won't give you the blood requisition forms you want, go to a different doctor. Yeah. So let me, now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna explain what I did for a period of about three months, and then the world shut down. I did a chelation therapy they said I had to do for the mercury because they said there is no way of getting this mercury out of your blood without doing the chelation treatments, right? And so for anyone that's gone through that before, a lot of people ask me, I have mercury poisoning. They're saying that I need to do the chelation. Now, one of the things with that was honestly wanted to get better so bad I wouldn't do anything at that point. They recommend it's, it's about eight to 10 treatments and you have to do it weekly and it is a slow drip it takes a couple hours and you can't speed it up because I found that when I tried to speed it up because I've been doing IVs for many other reasons for so long, it made me very, very, very sick. Um, and so I had to do this. However, when it was all done, mercury levels were back normal again. Irons then again got low again. So I did another iron infusion and then the world shut down around March and then we were home in Florida until, I don't remember specifically when it was that the doors opened back up again. However, I was actually forced to rest a lot. And when you have an autoimmune disease, one of the main things that they tell you is that you've got to reduce stress and you've got to sleep as much as possible. So I actually think that that time was very good for me. I was still able to work from home. I wasn't working out because all the gyms were closed. So this is the first time in my life that I didn't have a block of time working out. And then the world started to open up and it, do you, do you want to know why rest is so important for autoimmune diseases? Why? 80% of your immune system is in your gut, right? And when you're stressed, you're in the sympathetic and you have two, you, your, your central nervous system regulates itself from sympathetic via parasympathetic, right? And it's not like you're in one or the other. It's kind of like a, it's like almost like a dimmer switch, right? When you're in sympathetic, you're in that fight or flight mode where digestion is not optimized. Your body's pumping out adrenaline, it's pumping out cortisol, it's pumping out all these things that are gonna get you jacked up. The parasympathetic, that's your rest and digest. That's when your body is prioritizing nutrient absorption and things like that. So if you're stressed, you're locked in that sympathetic state. So even though you're consuming food, you're not actually absorbing it all. You're not actually absorbing all the nutrients. And then you're gonna have nutrient deficiencies, your whole digestive system's not gonna be optimized, and your whole immune system's gonna be compromised. And that's kind of the mistake people make is they just think, what is in is what I got. Yeah. It's not, like nutrient absorption is very, very different than actually just what you eat. Mm-hmm. 
So that's, that's, that's why rest is so important. And it's kind of those like one step backward for two steps forward is that once you get your digestive system healed, once your immune system is functioning again, then you can go back to your regular lifestyle habits. Well, I thought to myself, okay, so I've got this Epstein bar. They say I have it for life. I know how to handle it. I got all this rest because I wasn't training the whole time I was locked down. I've done at this point three iron infusions, so that should be good. And the world's opening up, and I'm going to do this ebook on getting back into shape again. And I had about 30 days of working out, felt very, very good. And then we had the um, Shark Tank opportunity to do the commercials with Kevin Harrington. So at this point, I was like, man, I only got 18 days. I got to go all out. And I believe that I ran on pure adrenaline to do that. And as soon as that was done, um, I had everybody flown in to shoot all of these wrestling videos that we were doing for Black Friday. We, we shot them about a month in advance. When everyone left, I believe that there are certain people, and I, I've always believed that I'm one of them, that have a much, much different level of, of pain tolerance and go, go, go attitude that my adrenaline carried me through how sick I really was and, and, and not realizing it. And when everybody left, my whole body was so exhausted and weak, I couldn't get out of bed for like days. And I looked really, really, really bad. And at that point, things took a major, major turn for the worse. I pretty much threw up every day for about 30 days before I finally was like, okay, it's time to go to the doctor. And that was when I went to the GI specialist and I had all of my blood work for everything that I had gone through. I said, I've been having a rough spell between mercury poisoning, Epstein-Barr, this, this, this. My iron keeps dipping low. And he was like, this wouldn't cause your iron though to be doing that. And he was like, we should be able to find it through an endoscopy or a colonoscopy. He's like, perhaps you have a hernia that's that's leaking, you know, whatever. Um, I told him though, I have been using uh, Nexium for like two straight years because I get so much pressure and heartburn and it's not acid reflux where I'm actually like coughing up acid. It's just a burning sensation that doesn't go away. And so what they found was that I had a massive overgrowth growth of uh, H. pylori bacteria. And so for the H. pylori bacteria, I had to run about 30 days of very strong antibiotics Similar stuff to what they give people that have like um, Lyme disease, for instance. And I would say the one good thing is that when I finished all those antibiotics, I actually don't have heartburn anymore. So that was something that I had for a couple of years that I thought was just stress related. And what he said was, it's good that you didn't wait too much longer on this because the amount of H. pylori bacteria you had, usually this turns into either Crohn's or ulcerative colitis, or it could even turn into cancer. And so I was like, man, it's just one thing after another. Got that done. But he said, your tests were inconclusive for the iron. And I had so many blood tests done at that point that his blood test, he actually made me scared because he was like, you need to go see a cardiologist um, based on the numbers that we're seeing, some some peptides that are, are some proteins that are being released that, they, that shouldn't be. Um, that is usually indicative in most, most cases of heart failure and also some issues with my kidneys. Now, one thing that I did find out, so after all of this, 
I went to an infectious disease specialist, right? And perhaps I should have went to this person uh, earlier. She believed that I had chronic active Epstein-Barr, which under a microscope, the way that she explained it, it actually kind of looks like HIV in the sense that your, your cells actually aren't able to really defend themselves anymore. And so when you get sick, you get so much more sick than the average person. And, and when you have a autoimmune disease like that, she actually said, this is such a rare one that people often die from this one. And it's more common in third world countries. And when I walked out of the doctor that day, I kind of like looked up to this guy and I, I, I cried for a second. Uh, I, you know, I, I felt sorry for myself and I was like, man, I got to have this now too. And it was just one day that I felt very sorry for myself. And then I started thinking, man, you know what? There's so many people that wake up and their, and their husband or wife is dead next to them or they find out that they're, they're terminal cancer. There's got a way, be a way that I can be all this if someone would just tell me what to fucking do. And that was when I got, for whatever reason, the, the sickest that I've ever been. And I was so weak that I couldn't really do anything. And when I say I was so weak, I couldn't do anything. I had, not only did I have no sex drive at all for about 60 days, like I wasn't waking up with like wood or anything like that. And I was still on HRT. Um, but even the idea of having sex was way too exhausting to me because I was getting tired just taking the garbage out. And then I started getting very, very depressed. And I thought to myself, man, I've been going to doctor after doctor after doctor. And if I have to stay this way, if they can't figure it out, like I would never commit suicide, but I just don't want to even be alive anymore. Like I'm that miserable. Like I can't do any, I can't work out. I can't do any of the things that I like to do. And I've been doing all of these IVs because in the beginning they were like, you know, you know, you've got to get yourself these IV treatments and you've got to stay on top of the glutathione to keep your, your liver detoxed. I was doing these IVs like crazy to the point where I was so frustrated with my nurse that I just took a phlebotomy course and watched some videos online and just started doing my own IVs. And it kind of freaks a lot of people out. It's, it's not that hard. It's not that hard. Um, and especially if you're not afraid. Um, rather than waiting for somebody to do it all the time, I have all the medicine, I have all the vitamins, everything myself. It's much more efficient for me to be able to just say, you know what, it's 10 o'clock at night, I'm gonna go to bed in a little while, let me just run this IV now and go to sleep. And that's what I started doing. But I still wasn't getting better. And at that point, that was like the deepest darkest part of my life because one of the symptoms of really, really low iron is along with like strange bruises that I was getting all over the place, lightheaded, weak, but it was majorly affecting my memory. And that was when I knew I had to tell my, my parents and my family because I was forgetting like full meetings that we were having at the office, but I didn't want anybody to know that I was sick. I wouldn't tell anybody. I, I don't even like saying that I'm sick, especially because doctors still didn't really know what was wrong with me. So finally there was a day where I actually got lost and I, 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 I kind of like broke down in my car because there's a lot of people that are 
going to be better bodybuilders than me or better coaches than me or better businessmen than me. But there was one thing I always had a lot of pride in was my ability to retain information, my memory, the way that I handle things. I'm quick witted. And, and to be losing that was to me, that was when I, I was really the most depressed that I've ever been because people were telling me things and I was like, man, I truly don't remember that. And they were like, we just talked about it yesterday. And, and that's when I, I started getting very sad. Um, but that's also when finally I met Dr. Zeno, who helped Jen Strobo, my assistant, executive assistant, out with her lymphoma. And at the Hulu Institute in the UK, where they treat lymphoma and many other cancers, they have a specific protocol that they go through. And it involves rigorous uh, coffee enemas, green coffee enemas, um, ozone therapy, IVs with very, very high dose vitamin C, um, glutathione, uh, infrared sauna treatments. There's just a whole like process that's going through with it. But if you, if you guys take a second to, to look up Dr. Helu at the Helu Institute, it's pretty amazing what they're doing because they are actually like successfully treating people with cancer. The thing is, most of that stuff is not approved here. And I was able to make very good friends with a doctor from Canada. And they actually sent me the ozone therapy machine. Another thing is people don't really understand the complexity of vitamin C. Mm -hmm. So most doctors, when they think vitamin C, they think preventing scurvy. Yep. But vitamin C is also the molecule that catalyzes the reaction for your body to make collagen. And everyone's going to think that me and PJ are in love with collagen because mm -hmm. we're always talking about it. But collagen is the most abundant protein in your body. People think it's skeletal muscle. It's not. It's collagen by a long slide because your skin, your bones, your joints, your entire digestive system, it's all made out of collagen. Your entire digestive lining is made out of collagen. So what really helps with those vitamin C infusions is that you're giving your body everything it needs to make collagen so that it can repair your digestive system, which is where 80% of your immune system is. And I will tell you that this is what Dr. Dano broke down to me. And so he, he actually is a bodybuilder. He just so happened to be an IPB pro bodybuilder. And when Jen Strobel reached out to him, she did it on her own. And she said, listen, I want to talk to you because this person means a lot to me. And I know that it's kind of against like, you know, doctor patient, like confidentiality, but he needs help. And he's like withering away. He's sick. He's weak. His memory is really bad. And actually Dr. Dano told her, he's like, I know who he is. I would actually love to help him. Can you please give him my information? So I sent him all, I'm meticulous. So I sent him all my blood work. This is what I do every day. These are the probiotics that I take. I fast for this many hours. This is what I eat. This is what the doctors are telling me. All I want to do is get better. If you could help me, I, I said, I would pay to get to the front of the line, whatever I need to do. If you tell me that I have to eat like dog shit on crackers every day for the rest of my life, just to feel better again, I will do it. I just want to get better. And he responded right away. And he said, um, I do believe that I can help you. And uh, what's better for you morning or nights? I said, I will talk anytime. I, I've been sick for so long. It's honestly, it's and in many ways, it's ruining my life. And um, he said, can we talk tomorrow morning? I said, yes. He said, how's 8 a.m. your time? I said, perfect. 7.58, he texted me and he said, you ready for our call? I said, yep, I've got my notebook ready. We got on the call and he went through 
um, his situation about 14 years ago, they told him that if he didn't have his colon removed, that he would probably have um, six months to live. And he said, so if I get my colon removed, I'm fine. And they were like, well, no, but that's part of it because, you know, you, you have now um, ulcerative colitis that's so bad it's turning into colon cancer. And he had just gotten married and, and he had just finished his uh, medical degree. And he said, I am not doing that for a 50-50 chance. And then he was the one that went and uh, went to the UK for a while, went through all these different processes. And he now, there are other doctors that don't like hearing people say things like this. He actually doesn't believe in the term remission. Um, he, he believes that he is cancer free. And he said, when doctors tell you that you're in remission, he, he, his position on it is very strong. Um, because they're telling you that, you know, cancer shouldn't come back, but it could come back in five years. He actually believes that, um, you can get cancer from all sorts of things, all times, but he does believe that. The true defense against most of these cancers and most of these autoimmune diseases is all coming from the gut. Yes. And I would say all diseases stem from inflammation at some source. And we'll talk about fasting and we'll talk about um, peptides and things like that in the second podcast. But as bodybuilders, what sucks is that what's good for general health is bad for bodybuilding. Stimulating mTOR, which yep. you need for muscle growth, mm -hmm that's a stimulus for all growth in the body, including cancer cells. Yes. So when someone fasts, it's great because you're suppressing insulin, you're suppressing mTOR, so your body's kind of rejuvenating, autophagy's happening, but you're also not building muscle. Mm -hmm. So I've kind of made my own way of intermittent fasting where you still get the benefits of fasting, but if you consume things like essential amino acids during your fast, you're not gonna lose the muscle mass that you normally yes. would. And if you look at the healthiest people, they're all people like Gandhi, right? They're yeah. super scrawny, they're super frail, but they live to be like 120. Mm -hmm. They have boundless energy, they do lots and lots of cardiovascular work, they do some strength training, but it's all you know, kind of like body weight training and things like that. Being overly muscular is not good for longevity. No. But there's ways you can hack it. You can still fast, because fasting is great. We all know fasting is, the research on fasting is showing just how important it is for general health, longevity, and things mm -hmm. like that. You wouldn't want to do that as a bodybuilder unless you're making some st smart biohacks or whatever yes. you want to call it. So we'll talk about that in the second podcast. And there's also some really interesting new type 2 diabetes medications that are coming out. And again, a lot of people listening to this podcast aren't super excited about it. But one of these medications, a GLP-1 agonist, mm -hmm. it kind of tricks your body into thinking that it's fed when it's not. Well, don't tell them all the exciting stuff before we get to that podcast. Yeah. We're going to wrap this one up in the next few minutes. But what I did, and um, this is what he said. And I, I think that you, I, I, I'm assuming that you would kind of agree with this. He said, you, you're gonna keep on going to doctors and they're gonna kind of keep on trying to treat like your, your current symptoms. The symptom, yeah. He goes, but what you need to do is, what you need to do is all of the things that have happened to you, you're going through it. They're coming from your gut health. And he goes, so, I'm going to give you a protocol that if you follow it, I believe that you're going to get better. He goes, you're probably going to go through about a, a 10 day detox phase where you're going to feel pretty sick, especially if you've never done um, the coffee enemas before. And let me tell you the first day 
first of all, the amount that I, first of all, I fast and I'm pretty regular anyway, right? That was part of the whole protocol was I got very into fasting. The amount of just straight up poop <laughs> that, oh, that's crazy. that came out of my body the first time was mind blowing, but I had to actually lay down for the rest of the day because I just felt very, very sick. And I, I called him, I was a little bit worried. He goes, do you feel like you're like detoxing off drugs? And I, I said, yeah. And he goes, that, that's what, what it's going to feel like. And so I, I did that with my ozone therapy and I do it through rectal uh, encephalation. And he believed that part of the reason why I wasn't getting better was he said, you had the right idea with all of these IVs and all these other things and the high dose vitamin C and, and everything else. But without actually attacking the gut first, your body just wasn't really having the chance to absorb these things the right way. And that's why the, uh, the iron's saturated in your blood, but not absorbing. And so after about 10 days, I remember I came to the office and my dad was like, oh my God, your color is back. You look so healthy. And I progressively started getting better. And now these are things that I do every day for the rest of my life. So I'm very, very happy to be back and feeling healthy. And I just started working out this past week again. And I appreciate you coming in here and um, talking about this portion of what I went through. But I want everybody to tune into the next podcast because we're going to talk about some really, really cool stuff. And perhaps something that I might even add to my protocol now that we've been talking about it. So thank you very much, Trevor, um, for assisting on this one. And the next podcast, guys, we're going to be getting into peptides that everybody asks about. Of course, some of these new obesity drugs, diabetes drugs. So make sure you tune into the next one. Thank you very much, Trevor. My pleasure. Looking forward to the next one. Perfect.